Hey guys, it's Amanda. Welcome to the first episode of The Heretics Club, a podcast about faith and the process of deconstructing it. You are in for a treat as our first interview is with one of my very, very best friends in the entire world. Her name is Kelsey Miles. Kelsey lives in my neighborhood here in Dallas, Oak Cliff, and we have become good friends over the last two or three years and really gotten to know each other. And when I talked in the intro about people who held the space for me in my process of deconstruction, Kelsey was near the top of that list. We have gone through this process together and been there to have lots of conversations in the process. And so I knew when I decided to do this podcast that she would be one of the first people I had on. So enjoy and don't forget to subscribe and rate and review us. Recording a podcast. Yeah, we are. We are. You are. I'm just talking in the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Kelsey Miles, my friend. That's me. Tell me about yourself. Um, what, man, what would you like to know? I feel like that's too broad of a question. (laughs) Um, I mean, give me like the Cliff Notes version. Um, I have long brown curly hair, (laughs) green eyes. I love to travel. I'm married. Um, And you live here in Dallas? I live here in Dallas. Down the street from Down the street with my two dogs. Um, and I grew up in Arkansas. And so... Dallas is fairly new. I've been here for five years. And I'm very much a creative entrepreneurial spirit. Um, never thought that was okay until <laughs> a few months ago. Um, didn't realize exactly what it was until a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean yeah. to you, creative entrepreneurial Spirit. Um, I have a very hard time with strict boundaries around myself that mm. I did not put in place. So um, I have a hard time with a structured eight to five job. I have a hard time with um, doing the same routine every single day. And yeah, and I love the idea of creating new things. Um, I was an interior designer in school, so. Um, creating new spaces, picking mm-hmm. out new floor plans, colors, um, got really into sustainability design and so like how can we take care of our planet and have an awesome mm-hmm. indoor space and outdoor space and everything. Um, but over over the years after I graduated college, I and even before then, have had tons of different jobs that look n- not very related mm-hmm. um, from uh, teaching kids how to ride horses to being a lifeguard to doing housekeeping for a major hotel and um, working at a few different bakeries, working at a coffee shop, owning a bakery, starting a Airbnb, um, working for two nonprofits. Like it's just it's all over the place, and I love it. Yeah, I love being in charge of what I do with my time. That's awesome. Yeah, we also probably should mention you're a three on the Enneagram. Yes. Because that probably will come up. Because <laughs> yes. we can't talk about life and about spirituality. Talking about the Enneagram? <clears throat> yeah, and the lo- like, especially in the last few years. Yes. We have to talk about the Enneagram. Yes. Um, I think you may know more about me and my number <laughs> than I do. But yes, it's been incredibly 
helpful um, as a tool to learn about myself. Well, and as a three, you were, I would imagine that it was easy for you to do all those different things because you just were good at them all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it was. It was also easy um, to do those things at the expense of myself. Mm. So say more about that. (laughs) So being the achiever performer, Mm -hmm. um, I didn't always do things for myself, um, Mm -hmm. but I did them because I was good at them. And so if something was asked of me, I mean, I was a worship leader for 10 years. I was, um, making really good grades in school. As long, anytime I got positive reinforcement for doing something, Mm -hmm. um, I would do more of that. Mm. Um, if I liked it, that was a bonus, but not always a requirement. Um, now it's a huge requirement. Um, and it's also a huge requirement not to sacrifice myself in the process of performing or achieving. Um, but yeah, so I was super capable. I was a fast learner um, in most things. Uh, a few things I was really slow at learning. I almost <laughs> got fired from a job or two. Um, but when I got it, like I was better than most other people because mm-hmm. I was so attention to detail and on top of things because that was my way to survive. Oh. So... Um, yeah, when I found out I was a three, it resonated really deeply, um, and it was also hard to look at that mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. it it felt really vain. It felt mm-hmm. really um, almost needy um, to want other people's attention, and I knew I loved to be a people pleaser growing up, or that's what I did. Didn't necessarily love it, but that's what I mm-hmm. did. Um, and so for that all to be mirrored so closely, like right in front of me Mm -hmm. to see that was really uncomfortable. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that gives me the perfect segue Mm -hmm. into the first part of this interview. Yeah. Um, tell me about the faith tradition that you grew up in. So I was born in the late eighties in a small town in Arkansas and my, Um, parents were super involved in church. So, um, been in church my whole life. Um, when I was three, we joined this, uh, very charismatic, non-denominational church that had very strong Baptist roots. And I didn't ever put the word Baptist to that church until I was well past it. Um, but realizing that that was, that was where the roots were. So I learned a lot about, um, about using the Bible as a main resource for your connection with God. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned a lot about obedience, a lot about discipline, a lot about commitment. Um, and those things have all served me super well at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the shadow side of that is um, I felt like I went to church because that's what was expected Mm -hmm. because that was the right thing to do. That's where I really learned, um, right and wrong became a constant theme Mm -hmm. there. And so looking back, like loving God and being with Jesus was almost an afterthought Mm -hmm. to, um, doing the right thing and showing up for church all the time. And I mean, we were inside, church doors every time they were open. Um, my dad was on the worship team. Mm -hmm. Um, later on, my mom became the secretary of the church. And, um, and so we were there Sunday morning, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, if there was an extra event or 
summer camps or VBS or whatever, like, Mm -hmm. they were there all the time. Um, And so as I got older, um, I got more involved, moved into the youth group, got on the worship team there, and that's where I first started um, singing with them. Mm -hmm. And... um, and yeah, and so did that. And so there was just this really strong sense of duty mm. and obligation. And so that's what that's what my version of God became. Mm. Um, was this strict, sometimes harsh, um, expectant father figure, um, but also boss. And so that I had to keep happy. Mm. Um, so after, so that was all in Arkansas, and then still in Arkansas, went to a state school for college and um, joined the campus ministry there that was Assemblies of God tradition, mm-hmm. and was a part of that for a year, and then on leadership the next year for um, through the end of my senior year in college, um, was on the worship team with them, became on leadership with them, and and once again, like same, same kinds of threads, but there was a mm-hmm. little more added to it. Um, still commitment but then there became this huge thread of submission to authority Mm -hmm. um, was their main focus so I spent my whole first two decades of life just trying to please God Mm. and that was my spiritual upbringing so I'm thinking that we probably will have some people listening the name of the podcast the heretics club Mm -hmm. probably won't draw a ton of people in Mm -hmm. that are Christians or still excited about Christianity or whatever. Uh So I want to go back and define a few, define a few things. Yes. So, and maybe even for people who are in the Christian tradition that didn't grow up in a charismatic faith, what does Mm -hmm. that mean? What did that look like? Um, For our church specifically, I don't know if this is the case across the board, but for our church specifically, um, there was a lot of emphasis on emotion mm-hmm. in church. So worship was very enthusiastic. People raised their hands. We had some crazy people running laps around the uh-huh. sanctuary during service and like yelling, and it always freaked me out. But I was like, this is apparently this is normal. normal. This is um, I'm just going to watch from the back and mm-hmm. not run with them. Um, <laughs> I remember... Um, constantly, like, people would be called down to the front where the altar was, mm-hmm. and the pastor would pray for them, and then they would get slain in the spirit, mm-hmm. which meant, like, he would pray for them, they would pseudo-pass out and fall on the floor, someone would catch them, it was this huge production. Um, and I remember the pastor always preaching with this fervor of, like, okay, we're going to start here, and then we're going to go over this verse, and then be yelling at some point doing mm-hmm. things just so excited but it was very intense and mm-hmm. so um that's what charismatic kind of means to me mm-hmm. um you know and people, was there was there a lot of speaking in tongues or praying yes. in tongues and yeah there was a lot of that and so and I didn't understand it and mm-hmm. I felt like it wasn't very explained either mm-hmm. and so it was something you tried to figure out how to fit yourself in because it was almost expected of the whole yeah. church to participate in. So how did that carry over when you went to college and you got involved with the ministry that was connected to Assemblies of God? Mm-hmm. 
because the symbolism of God is pretty charismatic as well. Very similar. So was this just like you just kind of kept going along yes. because you're like, oh, this is what we do. And Yes. Yes, very much so. Um, so I realized that that wasn't everybody's experience once mm-hmm. I got to college. And so if there was something new to someone who grew up in a... Methodist tradition where there's lots of standing and sitting and scripted prayers and liturgies and um, a very formatted service mm-hmm. um, if, or same thing with the Baptist church singing out of a hymnal or um, anything that was much more structured and so if other students came and um, and were a little freaked out by how loose and how like free-flowing this mm-hmm. whole service was um, it was a hard adjustment for them. But for me, I realized, like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe this isn't everybody's experience, but, like, nothing scares me at this point. Right. Some things will make me uncomfortable, but, like, nothing is really shocking to me mm-hmm. in this realm, at least yet. <laughs> and was there um, – so my experience with the charismatic um, kind of branch of Christianity is, like, heavy emphasis on speaking in tongues, praying in yes. tongues. Um, like you were saying, like very emotional, spontaneous worship, hours of worship, long prayers. Yes. Um, that was a huge, when Kyle and I got married, um, he was more in like a charismatic tradition and I was in more of like a, I was at a church of the Nazarene, but really it operated more like a non-denominational, uh, church. And we didn't have those like, uh, long, uh, elaborate, um, yeah. what's the word I'm looking for? Like, um, embellished prayers. Yes. And so it was, a, it was a hurdle for us to kind of Bridge navigate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a big emphasis on healing. Mm-hmm. Was that part of your tradition growing up? And either in the mm-hmm. church that you went to as a, as a kid with your family or in, when you went to the college ministry? Yes. Yeah. Huge emphasis on that. Um, there were several instances where people would get prayed for and they would get healed like physically Uh healed and that was an amazing thing to see and so I felt like there was this continuous pointing back to the bible like Jesus did miracles that physically healed people why isn't that happening today and Mm -hmm. so and I think there is space for that I think that can happen today I think for a lot of us it can happen more than we think Mm -hmm. and then for others maybe on the extreme end it, it may not be everything. There may be a lot more things that can happen as far as healing goes that's not just physical um, that mm-hmm. gets looked over. Um, but I remember a time when uh, there was a person in the church who um, kept praying for God to heal his mental illness. Mm-hmm. And he uh, felt like God healed him and he got off his medicine. And then about a month later, like, had a pretty intense mental struggle got back on the medicine and um and so sometimes it's it's helpful to pray but what I've learned over the year to pray for physical healing like Mm -hmm. it never hurts to ask I think God wants us all to be healed but we don't get to know what the outcome looks like Mm -hmm. like we get to trust God and say hey here's what I want Mm -hmm. if but like he still gets to do what he he wants and so um, so that man got to a point where he said, you know what? I realized I wasn't physically healed. Like my medicine started working and mm-hmm. that was not the only story like that, that I heard. Um, so with that emphasis, I think that there is a lot more healing. There was a, um, 
girl that was a part of the campus ministry in college who um, who was deaf in one ear from an incredibly traumatic incident that happened to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were on a mission trip in Africa one year, and they the pastor just felt like we needed to keep praying for her, so we prayed for her most of the week. <laughs> And then by the end of the week, like everyone was surrounding her praying for it. And like, she got her healing back right there and hadn't heard out of both ears in two years. And Mm -hmm. so, um, and since then, like I've heard about another girl who is a part of the campus ministry who was born blind and now she can see. And so it's like those things can happen. Um, and so I think God's big enough to handle our desires and our mm-hmm. questions and um, and like he wants to heal us. But at the same time, there are so many instances where I haven't seen healing happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still get this choice, like, am I going to keep trusting God or not? Mm-hmm. So I think there are definitely pros and cons for both sides yeah, of that yeah. faith tradition. Yeah. That's all, those are the instances, right, where... Because I believed so strongly mm-hmm. that if you just had enough faith, you'd be healed. Mm-hmm. And then saw that break breakdown in a lot mm-hmm. of instances. But then, and so it's like, but then you hear the stories of the right person getting their sight back and the person getting their hearing back, and it's like, oh, this is so the 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 water for me is still so muddy yeah. in that area. But I was just curious what that what it was like because I didn't grow up with that as part of my tradition as a kid right so learning that people believe that as an adult I was like you guys are crazy <laughs> but then yeah like, a but then like <laughs> seeing things like that happen right mm-hmm. or like hearing stories or like hearing people's testimonies it's always so interesting yeah to be like okay well I'm glad I don't have to have this figured out yeah. I'm glad I'm not being tested on this. Yes. I don't know the answer. <laughs> and you never have to have it figured out. I don't, yeah. It's not something I have to have an that answer was, to. That was one of the horrible things that I picked up from my faith tradition and all the way through my early 20s is just this constant feeling of mm. needing to be certain, needing mm. to have things figured out, and that's where things started breaking down for me. Mm-hmm. All right, that's the perfect set of it. <laughs> You're welcome. Stole my wording. <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. I want to touch on one thing that you said, though, because I think rem- um, we went to Conspire together yes. this past year, which is a conference in Albuquerque, New Mexico, um, at the Center for Action and Contemplation, which is led by Father Richard Rohr. <clears throat> and Brian McLaren uh, spoke about authoritarianism mm-hmm. and that like simple certainty and complex certainty and those different um, phases that we go through yes. and kind of the seasons of faith. And, um, it was the first time I'd ever heard it articulated like that. Mm-hmm. And thinking about how there are times in this season of my life where I'm at of, in being in deconstruction mm-hmm. and feeling like there aren't very many things I'm certain about. Right. Uh, that's a really uncomfortable place it is. to be. And it is like, I think part of my faith tradition growing up was also the certainty of like, no, we just know this is how things mm-hmm. happen. I think the words faith and certainty got mixed up mm-hmm. um, or the, or the meaning behind them got mixed up mm-hmm. when we were growing up. And I see that in a lot of churches. Well, if you just have enough faith, this will happen or mm-hmm. God will take care of you or whatever. But it, 
that kind of language ties to I am projecting some kind of outcome or mm-hmm. I know that God will do this for me. It's very transactional. Yes. It's very, um, yeah, it's just, it's very, it gets very twisted and mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, we have faith in God. We're trusting that he's going to be good. And then <laughs> something happens mm-hmm. and your certainty in what good was doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And, and so God's you, goodness is tied to this thing mm-hmm. that you need to happen. That's the, yes. like, for me, this my deconstruction process, a lot of it has been like untethering God's goodness from mm-hmm. anything. It just is. Mm-hmm. Right? That's that's so hard with that with that foundational layer yeah. of um we have to be certain. Right. This will happen because God's good. And it's right. like, so you're telling me if it doesn't happen that God's mm-hmm. not good? Or that this Bible verse says this thing. So obviously that's what this means. Right. It's like, well, does it? Yeah, does it? I mean, in is our that? 2018 American culture, yeah. I can see where you maybe got that. Right. But yeah, 2,000 years ago in a Roman-occupied Israel. Let's not, let's not muddle over the details of history, Kelsey. <laughs> the Bible says it. So. That's sarcasm. That's <laughs> sarcasm. Okay, so tell me, at what point did this system you grew up with start breaking down so I started getting cracks in the system I started noticing cracks happening um near the end of college there was a lot of there were a lot of things about um my faith tradition growing up and the campus ministry I was a part of in college that I didn't like, I didn't 100% agree with, but I didn't feel safe to disagree with them. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up in a very much, like, I go to nine in stress, um, which is the peacemaker, and so my job when I'm under stress is to make everybody happy, keep everybody Mm. on the same page and at peace, at peace with me, (laughs) at peace with each other. Um, So pushing back against the system disrupts that, Mm -hmm. and so when I was stressed in the system, I just reverted to don't ask questions, Mm -hmm. just accept it, figure out a way to make this fit in your life rather than maybe this doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm. So, um, near, near the end of college, uh, a lot of things happened in a short amount of time. Um, it was 2008 and I met my uh, now husband and mm-hmm. Trey and, um, and he was kind of a wild card that the campus ministry didn't know what to do with. He was in the rowdiest fraternity on campus and, um, partied a lot and was a cheerleader and was in the band and like, <laughs> I always forget he was a cheerleader. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> there's a lot of things. And, um, and he mountain biked all the time and he was waiting tables and, Um, and he just didn't fit the typical mold of, um, the students that were drawn to the campus ministry. Mm -hmm. And so, um, he had just gotten saved, you know, he'd met Jesus and like decided that this whole God thing was a thing that he wanted to have in his life. Um, let's break down the, like getting saved, getting saved to find it. I don't even know that I believe in those terms anymore. No, that's um, okay. I, which is 
it's Great. okay if you don't believe in it's it. Let's just deconstruction. Let's just define it so that if someone's listening and they're like getting saved from, did someone save him from a car wreck? Right. Um, this, what Trey went through was, um, oh gosh, I don't even know how to explain it. Um, he just got to a point in his life where he had pushed God away for so long. He had been an atheist or agnostic. Either way, he didn't think he believed in a God for a while. And then he thought, maybe there is a God, but maybe not the one that I was handed to. He grew up as a pastor's kid in a mm-hmm. Methodist church, a uh, pastor's grandkid, pastor's nephew, like Methodist pastors and the whole family. And, um, and so I think he was around 12 or 13 um, when he let go of his faith and he was like, this feels like a straitjacket, and I'm not allowed to live my life and it's too hard to carry this burden. I'm just going to drop it. And he said that was when one of the times in his life he felt more free than ever because of, of letting go of mm-hmm. those expectations. And so I would say getting saved is he had this moment with God where he was like, I want a relationship with you. I want to trust you again. And I want you to be a part of my life. He came back to faith. Came back he, to faith. Yeah. Yes. And saved yes. is saved by Jesus. Saved Jesus by saved Jesus. <laughs> yes. It's a, it's the, it's the things that you said growing up that it just felt normal. Yeah. Oh, did you hear? Yeah. Johnny got saved. Yeah. And yeah. now it's like, I just, Okay. When you say it, we're when you also define not it in a world that uses that language anymore. Often. We are not, but there is a world that still. Oh exists no, I know, which I know, but that's so, why right. I think that's one reason that it sounds foreign to us. Yeah, because we're not in a world that like I go back to a church every now and then, like whether it's my parents or my in laws or somebody, and and I hear just like church words, mm-hmm. and I'm like, Bleh. yeah, run away, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you're in college. Yes. You meet Trey. So I met Trey. They don't know what to do with him. Yes. But He's an anomaly. He, yeah, totally anomaly. And so um, he he was around a lot for that year. Um, we went on this mission trip to Africa, started dating right after that. Um, and then I stepped off. Uh, no, no, no. So, so we started dating. And then in that year... Um, a few of the students got kicked off of leadership because, um, they went on a trip to spring break and they drank while they were on the trip. They're over 21, whatever. Mm -hmm. But part of this like agreement we had to sign being on leadership with this campus ministry was not to drink alcohol. So in the assembly of God tradition, that's a very huge no, no. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, I I saw just how quickly um, all of this broke down for these girls that I really cared about mm-hmm. um, that they just they basically got disowned because mm-hmm. of this one incident and and I was still trying to just grasp like why is this happening because really it just seems to be happening about a, something on a piece of paper this is not something that they all of a sudden all became alcoholics and they got everyone <laughs> right. else in the whole student body like drunk all the time like I was like this is not an issue mm-hmm. why why is this such severe reaction and why why is this one thing um so big but at the time I didn't question it as deeply because I grew up um in a household that like drinking was never allowed it mm. was very much this like 
terrible sin that you did, you know, like everything was so black and white and so divided. And so it was in the box of like black, not okay, wrong, whatever. And so, so that was where like some of the cracks started happening. And then the next year, Trey and I got married and, um, we were, the, we went to school for five years cause it was a cool thing to do at the time instead of graduating <laughs> in four. Cause we could go to school in the summer or we could go to school in the fall and spring and not be out any more money, but we could have one less summer or two extra summers before we hit the real world. So we opted for two extra summers. That's fair. And it was amazing. Um, <laughs> Because we went to Africa, um, got married one of those summers, and the next year we walked 500 miles across Spain, um, and that was our graduation trip, and um, and it was it was awesome. Um, but that whole year after we got married was our fifth year of our <laughs> our second senior year, um, and we were both working like three jobs and going to school. Um, and it was just a lot. So mm-hmm. uh, one of those jobs was leading worship at a tiny United Methodist church an hour away from where we lived. And so every Sunday morning, we would get up and leave our house by 7 to be there by 8 to set up all of church in this school gym, mm-hmm. have church, finish up tear down everything, leave, come back on Wednesday for band practice. I mean, it was crazy, but we did so much because we were saving up to go to Spain um, for this trip. And so a couple more cracks started forming um, in my faith because it was a... the Everyone there at the Methodist Church was super sweet, Um, But there were just things that they did just for the sake of tradition um, Mm -hmm. that just grated on every nerve that I had because I grew up with no tradition, no structure. Mm -hmm. I'm like, and we're going to sing the same song at the end of every service and hold hands (laughs) and talking about binding us together? Like, fuck that. Like, no. (laughs) And so, um, so that was something that I felt like. I was, I was just performing like that performance part of me Mm. kicked in. Um, and it didn't feel like I was connecting with God. It just felt like I was doing this for show. Um, and then the next year, uh, graduated from school and went to Spain and then Trey started a, got hired on really quickly with Hewlett Packard, um, working. And so we were at a Nazarene church at this time. Um, when we came back and, um, went there for a while and realized they did a great job welcoming pe- new people the first week. And then after that, you're on your own. Hmm. And so never got invited out to lunch with anyone, never was invited over to anyone's home. We also didn't invite people over. We were also super young and brand new. And so there was just this tension of like, what are like, what is church really for? Mm-hmm. And so that started coming up. It was like, I feel like I'm performing some religious duty, but there's no community here. And so when we quit going, we didn't go anywhere to, for, to church for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was one of the most liberating things I had mm-hmm. done. Um, but at the same time, um, I started noticing something with Trey that... Um, that made me uncomfortable. And, um, when he was at HP, there were, um, 
several instances where the, the expectation was to go out to dinner or go out for drinks or have this company meeting and everyone had a corporate Amex and so there was there was no rules. Mm-hmm. And so I started noticing a few things and I was like, I think I think you may be drinking a little a little much. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like I partied in college, like this is nothing. I was like, oh cool. Because <laughs> we won't talk about that. Um, because I grew up in a world where you just don't talk about things. Mm-hmm. Especially that was one of the definitely off the list things. And then um couple years later I found out my little brother was gay and so um he was terrified to tell me um Mm -hmm. it blindsided me um because I just I don't know he was just my brother and like Mm -hmm. we were 15 months apart we're practically twins um we'd grown up in the same household with the same parents a lot of the same experiences but also worlds apart experiences Mm -hmm. in the same home and um you know, and, and growing up in the strict religious tradition, um, that I did, mm-hmm. alcohol was not okay and being gay was not okay. And so, mm-hmm. because they constantly said like, it's a choice. I was like, this seems weird. I don't know. Um, and now I have so many issues with that and it's absolutely not a choice. Um, <laughs> that's just my opinion. Um, but the first thing he said to me after he told me was, are you going to kick me out? Because he was living with us mm. at the time. And it just broke my heart. Because I was like, no. Like, that's mm-hmm. that is the furthest. No, I love you. Like, you are welcome here yeah. as long as you need to be. Um, and so, all of a sudden, I had a husband who I thought maybe drinking too much. And I had a brother who's gay. And I was like, these things don't fit in what I was handed as what's okay to do and not do as a Christian. But once again, it all came back to what you did. Um, it wasn't about a relationship with God. It wasn't about um, being loved and loving other people. Mm-hmm. It was about, like, here's the list of right things, and here's the list of wrong things. Like, where are you at? Like, if you're on the wrong side of things, like, figure out a way to get on the right side of mm-hmm. things. And I realized life is just not that simple. It's just not. Right. So, um so we're at like 2012. So 2013, we uh, moved to Dallas and we had had a really amazing group of friends that we had over, called it family dinner every Thursday night. We had 12 to 20 people that we fed in our house for four years. In Arkansas. In Arkansas. And so um, these are college friends, post-college friends, deep relationships. And then we up and moved to a city that we know no one um, except my younger brother who moved with us and my older brother and his family who lived an hour outside of the city. Um, we knew no one. And so we went from deep community to almost complete isolation. Mm-hmm. And so there's a really dark time, um, about six or nine months. I cried most days because mm-hmm. I just didn't know anyone. And mm-hmm. Trey's traveling for work and working from home. And, um, we decided at the time the best thing for, his career and our relationship was for us to travel together as much as possible so we could maintain our relationship through this crazy time of being super successful at Mm -hmm. this career. And so I started volunteering. So we found um, our current church, which is Life in Debellum. The second Sunday we moved to Dallas, just on a fluke, and um, went on and off for a couple months and then got connected to a life group um, which is just a community group of people to do faith with, life with, whatever. And um, and so at that time, 
um, I started volunteering for them, and then later I was on staff with them, um, and it was it was an awesome thing. Um, but that was the first uh, first time I started going to counseling, and I was terrified. Hmm. Trey's mom was a therapist for twenty years, so he was like, "Counseling sounds great," <laughs> and I was like, "That sounds like my worst nightmare." Um, but we got to this point where um, we started arguing a lot because I said, "Listen." you have a drinking problem and we mm-hmm. can't talk about it. He was like, I don't have a drinking problem and we still can't talk about it. I was mm-hmm. like, cool, we need a third party. So once again, like my understanding of the world, my understanding of mm-hmm. what God's goodness is just kept not, not making, yeah. it, it didn't work anymore. So um, say, I want to pause you for a second and back up just a little bit. Say more about, um, God's goodness being tied to, because I hear the story of mm-hmm. your brother coming out and mm-hmm. Trey starting to drink and it not lining up with these principles that you, or the rules that mm-hmm. you were raised with, mm-hmm. right? But where's God in all of this? Like, what's your relationship with God like at the time? Right. Are, are you praying about it or are you just like dealing with life as it happens and right. and it it's in the back of your mind? Like, kind of walk me through what the process of that looked like spiritually. So I feel like I tried to compartmentalize all of my life. Mm. And so I was like, okay, I have my spiritual life, which is like reading my Bible and praying. And like, I can talk to God about these certain things. Um, But I always felt like prayer was one more thing I could fail at. And Mm. so I felt this need to... um, ask for certain things be very thankful do confession like it was almost this model that I felt like I had to follow but it wasn't about a relationship Mm -hmm. and so I kept doing what I knew to do Mm -hmm. which was go to church read my bible um but it felt very flat it felt very stale um and I didn't talk to God about trace drinking. I didn't talk to God about because those are being that's gay. what you mean by compartmentalizing. Yes. Those are not yes. those are in different boxes. Because <clears throat> I was always under the impression growing up that like if someone is quote unquote sinning, then like they need to get right and like maybe you need to help them, mm-hmm. um, which is not that's called codependency. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not helpful. Um, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone needs to change, they have to want it for themselves more than you want it for them. And mm-hmm. then you have to figure out what your relationship looks like with them if nothing ever changes. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to accept them right where they're at. And I felt like I wanted to accept both my brother and my husband right where they were at, but I didn't know how. Mm. And so mentally, I was like, we're okay. Like, train out, will stay married. My brother and I, like, we'll keep our relationship as long as we don't talk about, as long as we don't bring up that you're gay. As long as we don't bring up, like, hey, you told me you are going to be home at 10 and you came home at 2 in the morning mm-hmm. and you don't remember most of last night. Um, and so that was something that I just kept, like, my life felt very fractured mm-hmm. at that point. So, um, so this was still... Um, my perspective of God was still someone I had to appease and make Mm. happy and that I couldn't, um, disappoint. Mm -hmm. Um, disappointment was a huge thing for me. Like if I felt like someone was disappointed in me, that was worse than like me being screamed out. That was worse than, Mm -hmm. 
it was worse than just about anything else. And so that's how I looked at God was just, hey, like be holier than thou, do, do these things mm-hmm. and, and then you won't disappoint God. But mm-hmm. that had nothing to do with a relationship with God. So I learned how to be a good little soldier from a very young age. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, cool, I can do push-ups, I can run laps <laughs> for miles, I can do all this strength training and I can fast and I can, you know, just drink water, you know, like I can do all of these really spiritually disciplined things, but wasn't really doing me any favors, Mm -hmm. but it's all I knew. Okay. So you guys start counseling. Yes. So we start counseling. Um, and then, um, yeah. And so that, I think we were there for like a year and a half and just trying to figure out our relationship and, you know, we just had layers of things going on. Um, and so near the end of 2015, um, I was at church one Sunday and one of the pastors was talking, um, about their job at life and development said, if I could do anything in the world, money wasn't an issue. And I had my dream job. Like this would be it. Like Mm. I'm doing it. And as soon as I heard that, I realized this is not it. I've been on staff with them for over two years. It's been amazing but this is not it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was terrifying for me um, because it was also safe and I didn't know what was next. And so I didn't, um, I didn't know what to do with that. I just mm-hmm. knew that this wasn't it. So um, sat on that for about a month and then uh, gave them a month's notice and said, Hey, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for letting me be a part. Um, I will be wrapping up at the end of the year. And they said, we're so proud of you. I was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? <laughs> not the expectation, yeah. you know, um, not what I was looking for. So that was helpful. So they were like, yeah, we feel like this is a great thing for you to move past. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was cool. Still didn't know what was next, uh, but I felt this freedom of, oh, okay, like my pastors are cool with me stepping down from staff will still be a part of the community, but it's going to look different. And so that's the first time I really felt like I started going out on a limb and exploring Mm. like what's next, what's new. Um, and then 2016 is where, um, yeah, 2016 and 2017, um, was where the full deconstruction process really happened. Um, very, so we quit counseling at the end of 2015 Um, and a few months later, um, Trey had his last drink and has been sober since. And that was a life transform, transformational thing for both of us. Um, I started hosting for Airbnb and I was like, cool, I get to do all this. Um, and then I kept trying to find myself in, I tried to, I tried to figure out my identity by what I did. So Mm -hmm. I had four jobs that year. It was an absolute nightmare. Um, felt like my relationship with God was getting to this place of, of, Oh, like you, you love me mm-hmm. like just for me. Um, and I felt that's what life in deep Elm did for us is it, um, over the years that we were there, we still are here. Um, I felt like they gave us the space to wrestle with our faith. Um, they, I remember one of the first Sundays I was there, they said, we're not going to hold your hand through this process. We aren't going to lead you by the nose. Like we're here to support you. Um, but we want you to wrestle with anything we say. We want you to feel Mm -hmm. safe to disagree with us. And I have never heard a pastor say that before in my life. And all of a sudden my respect for them just like went through the roof Mm -hmm. because I realized like they weren't trying to 
push us to believe a certain thing. They weren't trying to control us. There are plenty of things that are said on any Sunday that I'm like, "Mm, I don't know about that. (laughs) But I finally got to this point where they said, like, we want you to have a relationship with God Mm -hmm. for you. Not for us, not for your parents, not for this community, but like for you. And so, and they're not threatened by your process. Yeah. Not at all. Not at all. And so, um, so as we're going through this process and then Trey gets sober, um, we're able to tell our story. I don't think we could have told that story in any other church. Mm. Um, but like our whole community knows our story and we feel safe there. You know, we don't yeah. feel judged. We've been a huge resource to people um, who have had similar situations to ours. <clears throat> and so, but that year just as with my career was a nightmare um, when it came to jobs because I kept trying to find my identity in what I did. Mm-hmm. And so with each job that I quit felt, felt like a failure um, mm. until the very end of the year when I was wrapping up my last job and I had gotten screened at in the office for about a week straight and I hit my breaking point. I said, you know what? I'm not that difficult to work with. Like, yeah, I may need to learn some more. I may need to do something different, but like no one deserves to be treated this way. And I walked out without notice and I have never done that in my life Mm -hmm. and hope I never do again. Um, but, but at the end of the year, I realized that I, um, um, I wasn't going to fit in the mold of a very structured, like eight to five job. Mm -hmm. So then it's like, where are we at? And so beginning of 2017, um, Trey's mom got diagnosed with cancer, was in and out of surgery and the hospital and then was cancer free and then had a few other health issues. And to this day, we still have another surgery on the book. So it's been a two year process of like, Mm -hmm. what in the world? And then, um, a really good friend of ours, um, in his mid thirties got cancer and Mm -hmm. had just lost his two year old child a few years before. And so when that happened, um, I really, really started to question God. I was like, this is not fair. Like Mm -hmm. no one should have to go through this much shit, much shit of losing a child, having cancer in your mid thirties. Like, Mm -hmm. like this family is going through more than anyone should have to go through. Um, a little bit after that, I walked the Camino again, um, walked 500 miles and I hit a point with God that I finally felt safe to be angry Mm. at God. And I felt like he wasn't going to disown me. He wasn't going to be mad at me, but he could handle my anger Mm -hmm. and my, and like rage. Um, so walked 500 miles over the course of a month and, and had all of this space and time to fight with God, to talk to God, to question what was happening. Because that was part of my faith tradition growing up, is questions were not allowed. Mm-hmm. Asking God why was not allowed. Um, doubting God was not allowed. And so I got to this point where I realized, like, oh, he's big enough to mm-hmm. handle all of that. And he's not threatened by that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, my God is bigger than being threatened by me as an individual human. Um, so came back from Spain, had a fractured foot and had to sit on my ass for six weeks after walking 500 miles. And that was super frustrating. Um, but I felt like a different person when I got back because I had been once again through this transformational process in Spain of Mm -hmm. 
everything had to slow down. The only responsibility you had was feeding yourself and finding a place to sleep, which neither were hard things. And then walking somewhere between 15 and 25 miles a day. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when you do that, you run out of things to think about. You run Uh out of things to talk about. You look at the landscape or you just look at the ground in front of you, but everything is so you find this stillness inside Mm -hmm. yourself. And like, that's where I was able to hear God. So, it was a good spiritual experience for me. Very difficult physical experience. Um, and I realized, like, oh, both of those can happen at the same time. <laughs> um, but following that was a ton of tragedy. Over the next nine months, we buried six people. Um, two of those were grandparents, but the rest of them were premature deaths. And so um, it was just, like, thing after thing after thing after thing. And kept asking, like where is God in all of this? Mm -hmm. And, and I realized like he was right there beside us the whole time. He was with those people Mm -hmm. when they died, he was with us while we were grieving and with them before they died, when amazing things happened or terrible things happened. And, um, but I realized like my understanding of God being good really started to change because mm-hmm. what I thought was good was like babies didn't die and yeah. like people didn't die before they were supposed to and you know bones didn't break and people didn't struggle on a daily basis of questioning if their life matters mm-hmm. but I realized all those things happen and so over over those two years um last year and this year I really have struggled with um the exclusivity of Jesus, um, Mm -hmm. because growing up in the Christian faith tradition, there is a common belief that Jesus is the only way to heaven Mm -hmm. and the only way to God. And anything outside of that means you're going to hell. And so I realized that who gets into heaven and who doesn't, um, didn't sit well with me. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, okay, how do I, how do I reconcile this? Like, I don't have to have an answer, but like, this is not, this is not my answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I discovered Richard Rohr mm-hmm. and, um, absolutely amazing. And, and he has talked a lot in different books, um, at the conspire conference that we went to just about, um, how God is in everything. Mm-hmm. And then I realized like you can read the Bible and find whatever you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So if you want to believe that God is harsh and that he's angry and that or she is upset or controlling, like you can find things mm-hmm. that will shape that view. Um, but I realized that those were not the things I wanted to believe about God. Mm-hmm. And so I, wanted to believe Jesus when he said, I came that you may have life and Mm -hmm. that you may have it abundantly. And then there's a Jewish prayer that comes out of the old Testament, um, where they talk about God being one and all of us being one with God. Mm -hmm. And so there's so many verses that talk about the world as a whole, not just humanity, but like the whole earth and all of the people and not just like this select tiny group that may or may not get it right. And, and so I still don't know where I'm at with all of that, but I Mm -hmm. do believe that God can handle everyone on their own path. Mm -hmm. Um, and that he's not leaving, he's Mm -hmm. not disowning, 
that he loves my brother so much. We have more gay friends than we ever had in our life, and he loves all of them. And so I just started seeing people from different faith backgrounds, different religions across the world, Mm -hmm. different cultures who didn't think or look like me that looked more like Jesus than most Christians I knew. And Mm -hmm. that didn't line up with what I had been taught. And so I was like, okay, something's wrong here. Like something doesn't, something in my beliefs doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. So over this last year, we've had a ton of ups and downs. Um, and, and up until a few weeks ago, um, I was at this point where I was like, I don't even know what I think about God anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. I think there is a God. I think the universe didn't come from nowhere. Um, mm-hmm. but I think it doesn't fit in this little box that I tried to put it in mm-hmm. growing up in the box that I was handed to. Um, yeah, so... I had a really amazing trip to Costa Rica that I just got back from a few days ago. And and I felt like God just kept coming through every single part of this trip that had nothing to do with Christians, Jesus, religion. Um, but we did yoga. We did meditation. We were outside the whole time. Mm-hmm. We didn't eat meat. We um, planned goals for next year. And we dreamed about, like, how can we make the world a better place? And... And I found God in all of those people Mm -hmm. um, on that trip. And so, yeah, so I think now I am at this place where I'm really wanting to hang on to God and see what's next, Mm -hmm. Um, but also being very open to this process of it may be nothing like I ever expected. Mm -hmm. So tell me how this process has affected or or changed your relationships as much a, in as general a, relationships and like with any spe- people well I'm, I'm thinking specifically you talk about what you're comfortable talking about mm-hmm. but I'm thinking specifically the the people that uh you were close friends with you said you had that group that was mm-hmm. the family dinner and yeah. I'm assuming that a lot of those were from that Mm-hmm. Assemblies of God, mm-hmm. um, faith community, or even the your family, your right. parents, your um, your other brother mm-hmm. um, that may not be on like everyone that may not be on the same mm-hmm. page as you. Yeah, what was their reaction to this process that you were going through? Did you share the process that you were mm-hmm. going through? Has it been talked about? Has it changed the dynamic in your mm-hmm. relationships? Um, with my um, with most of my immediate family, no, I did not talk about it. Um, I think they can see a difference in me because I, I'm not as timid as I used to be. I'm not as quiet mm-hmm. as I used to be. I'm not <clears throat> filling that role in my family as the constant peacemaker as much. So they're seeing changes for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also gotten really good at the language that I'm using because part of part of my personality wants people to feel comfortable mm-hmm. and wants them to be themselves. And so I'm not expecting my parents to change and see the world the way I see it. I'm not expecting my mm-hmm. little brother to change his views. On, like he walked out of church years ago and hasn't been back. 
that used to bother me and it doesn't bother me at all now. Mm-hmm. Um, my older brother hasn't been in church in a couple of years and um, also doesn't bother me. So I've realized that Christian words or um, spiritual words that have to do with other religions aren't helpful dialogue in my family, but I can say other things that help them think about like, well, why do you think that? Or what's behind that? Or does Mm -hmm. that really, is that really where you find God? Or is that something that you truly believe about the world? So there are things that I have been able to shift the focus of the conversations in my family, at least the ones I have with each of my family members that has more to do with them feeling loved and accepted by me, no matter where they're at, that helps them feel safe. The one thing about me and my family, um, is I have a pretty close one-on-one relationship with all of them, Mm. even if they don't necessarily get along or see eye to eye at times. Um, I'm one of the constant threads in the family. And so, um, there are definitely things that have changed. I have learned to ask questions and really listen Mm. more presently and openly with them. So I'm able to hear what's underneath. I'm able to hear the pain of failed jobs. I'm able to hear the pain of not knowing where life is going to be this time next year. And I'm able to hear the struggles that they went through, um, that I may have never known about, even though we were in the same household for Mm -hmm. almost 20 years. So, um, I think there are differences in me that they have noticed as far as I'm not as anxious as I used to be. I'm also not as anxious as most of them are Mm -hmm. now. I'm also not quite as angry as most of them are now. So, um, so there, there is a difference where I approach things a little more lightheartedly than I used to. And I'm like, oh. Oh, you're kind of fun. Like, I want to hang out with you for this. I'm like, great. You're all welcome. Um, yeah. Nice. Okay, so last part. Tell me where you're at now. I mean, you kind of did. Yeah. With the Costa Rica mm-hmm. trip. And, mm-hmm. But I'm curious, is, um, is there anything from your faith tradition growing up mm-hmm. that you still hold dear or you still have carried over into your current Um, spiritual life um and then if not or if so what else does your uh, spiritual life involve these days Mm -hmm. what does it look like um I'm still very drawn to the bible um as a resource for connecting with God I don't think it's the only way um I think it is really helpful Um, But what that means is very different than what it used to mean. Um, I read through the whole Bible in a year when I was in high school at one point because that was what was happening in my Uh church. And um, and it was one of those things. I was like, oh, that was really cool. Like, mark that off my Uh achievement list. Um, But I didn't get a lot out of it. And so um, I hate Bible studies, Mm -hmm. like actual Bible studies. I have lots of family members who love them dearly and that's how they connect with God. And it just makes my skin crawl. Um, but I've found a lot of resources that dig into 
the scriptures and mm-hmm. get the historical context and um, Greek meanings and like what's really going on in this little thing. So how I look at it is is like this photo out al- this big photo album that I used to like flip through every year. It's like, oh yeah, this is our Costa Rica trip and our island trip and this is where Trey and I met and this is this. So it's like I knew it like as a running list. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm going back and I'm looking at one picture for a whole day or one picture for a month. Mm-hmm. Like, oh I never noticed this tree. Oh I never noticed there was a river in the background. Oh my gosh, there's a mm-hmm. rainbow. Like like I'm getting into it and it and each picture is telling this yeah. full story. And so um that's kind of what I'm discovering about the Bible now. And I'm not by any means doing any kind of process of my own right now. Yeah. Um, but anytime I find an author or a speaker or a person um, who makes me feel more alive um, and has shown me something in the Bible that I've never seen before that I love, that I'm drawn to, I just start down that road mm-hmm. and follow that until I feel like it shifts. Yeah. So that's what I've carried on from my whole church. What was the other question? Um, just like where you're at now, like kind of, so that you would say, um, you've continued to read the Bible. That's Mm -hmm. the one thing you've carried from your, Mm -hmm. but then what did your, what do your spiritual practices look like now? So what um, is your, because I've, what I've heard the, the thread that I've heard throughout is growing up there, there's no emphasis on relationship Mm -hmm. with God Mm -hmm. or getting to know Jesus Mm -hmm. or, um, it was all about right and wrong, black and white. Um, and then it sounds like on the Camino, the second Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. you had this realization of like, Oh, we're, we're in relationship. I'm doing this, um, retreat in daily life at life in Dubellum. Yes. With, uh, it's from Ignatian spirituality, which is a Catholic Mm -hmm. tradition. And last night, um, is we, we, we meet on Tuesday nights and last night in our meeting, one of the person, people in our group, uh, was saying, you know, I was talking to God this week and there's silence and God wasn't mm. saying anything. And I was so frustrated. Mm-hmm. And one of the spiritual directors, like very gently and, and graciously said, well, frustration is part of a relationship. Mm. That's mm-hmm. relational. Yes. You're getting to a point in your relationship with God where you're having real feelings. Yeah. So that's what I hear for you mm-hmm. that happened on the Camino. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me what that looks like now. Yes. How has that carried over? And like, what is that? What, how, how would you, what are your spiritual practices? How do you communicate with God? Mm-hmm. What do you think God is? Yeah. Like, where are you in all of that? Okay. So I think... Uh, very beginning of this year, I started seeing a spiritual director once a month and she's fabulous and, and also my spirit animal. Um, and, um, and she had something to say about God's silence as well. She said 85% of communication is nonverbal. What does that look like for your relationship with God? And I thought my head was going to explode, um, because I had always interpreted silence as, well, you just haven't found it yet. So it's up to mm-hmm. you to find these answers from God. You are not doing something right yeah. to hear God. Um, and realizing that God's right here with me, um, even in the silence. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see a spiritual director, um, also from the Catholic tradition. And 
Um, and it's been a beautiful journey um, to experience people in other faith traditions, um, or at least different denominations or whatever, because um, I feel like every person, every tradition reflects a different piece of God. And mm -hmm. so we're able to just get a more holistic view mm -hmm. of maybe what God is like. Um, so that's happening. But one of the big lessons that I've been learning over the past few years is how important integration of my whole self is. And so growing up, there's a huge emphasis on spirituality. Um, and very little emphasis on taking care of your physical self because that was considered almost selfish or vain mm -hmm. or whatever. And then, um, you know, taking care of your emotions and your brain and your soul, everything, um, was like kind of somewhere in the middle. And so I've realized over the last few years, like, like I am one being and that includes a physical body, a spiritual body and an emotional body as well. And so, um, realizing all of that is who God created me to be. And, mm -hmm. um, and before there was a lot of focus on the spiritual side of things. So I neglected these other parts of me or I treated them as less than and realizing all parts of that yeah. is super important. Um, and so for me, that looks like, um, going to counseling cause I need to on my own. Uh, I have been going for quite some time all by myself and it's been amazing. Um, but it really helps me work through and process through like, Oh, there's this little girl inside of me that I locked away a long time ago. Cause mm -hmm. she didn't feel safe in the world. She wasn't allowed to be let out. Um, but realizing that that little girl is the most genuine expression of who God created me to be. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's beautiful and wonderful and gentle and loud and fun um, and super caring and she cries a lot, um, to, to really feel everything that's going on. Um, so I felt like that was part of my Costa Rica trip is realizing like, oh, she's still there. Mm -hmm. Um, and she needs a place to thrive. And, um, and so, um, you know, that includes, um, spiritual practices like prayer. It also includes meditation for me. Now it includes yoga and just this full integration of my physical and spiritual and emotional body altogether. Mm -hmm. Um, and another practice that isn't all that spiritual, but has been helping me a lot is taking the busyness out of my life so I can slow down and mm -hmm. so I can be very present with what's happening. And so this happened yesterday and I had two or three long conversations with people. One was with a total stranger, two or with people I hadn't seen in a while. Um, that wasn't planned that had I been rushing, I would have missed those completely. Mm. And I got to like give a little piece of light to this person who felt so scared because she had just gone through cancer. Perfect stranger did not heard half her life story in a short amount of time because I took the time to pause. Mm -hmm. And like, I felt like God was in that moment. I felt like God was in this moment connecting with this person that I hadn't seen in a while. Um, and so now my relationship with God looks like this openness and awareness of being fully present and seeing what happens with mm -hmm. not a lot of expectation other than from myself to show up. Yeah. Um, because I can't control the outcome. I can't 
put in this certain amount of work to get this certain right. amount of stuff out of it. Because that's what I used to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, what God is to me now is hard to explain. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel more alive than I used to, and I've been through a lot of shit over the last two years. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was sharing with a group on the trip to Costa Rica um, before I came, I hadn't been happy in months because I had gone through this really traumatic process and felt like, you know, happiness may not ever happen again. Like I can mm-hmm. fake it. I can be there for people. I can laugh. But like, like that, like a piece of me felt like it had died. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so being on this trip in Costa Rica, I got to this place where I was like, oh no, like there's still, there's still mm-hmm. a lot of joy out there for me and I don't have to fake it. And I felt like that was a gift that God was like, yes, it's been here the whole time. I just wanted you to reach out and take it. Like, oh, cool. So, um, yeah, so I feel like God is so much gentler and stronger and bigger than I ever gave God credit for. Mm -hmm. Um, And that he's not scared of other people's faith. He's not scared of the Buddhist faith tradition and the Mm -hmm. Hindu and the Muslim and the everything. Um, because I feel like he shows himself to all people Mm -hmm. if they want to see it. Um, and so who am I to judge what other people's experiences are and what their stories are? Um, I just feel so privileged to witness other people's life and to be able to be with other people on their journey. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay, I wasn't planning on asking this question, but I find myself curious about it because I've. This is the um, question I found myself sitting with in the last few months. Is and and Rob Bell talks about it a lot, which you and I are both. We love Rob Bell so much. Uh, the Rob cast <laughs> is like uh, it's church. <laughs> it totally is. It's church. Um, it totally is. But he just recently. Uh, on his podcast talked about how he gets the question why Jesus mm-hmm. so if you if you believe all roads lead to the same God mm-hmm. and that there's no exclusivity mm-hmm. in Jesus right because I think um, I'll have to do a whole episode on my journey <laughs> so mm-hmm. people kind of have some context but for me like I came into the Christian faith because I thought if I didn't accept Jesus I was gonna burn in hell yep right mm-hmm. so it was like Jesus wasn't a choice mm-hmm. it was a, a necessity uh-huh. Jesus was a necessity uh-huh. for my survival yeah and um so now it's like if I think I can choose any path I'm, I'm asking myself mm-hmm what is it like what is it that draws me to Jesus mm-hmm. and why is the is the Christian faith the thing that I keep coming back to mm-hmm. so I'm curious with you mm-hmm. why Jesus so if I'm completely honest there's still a tiny piece of me that feels like if I don't choose Jesus <laughs> not gonna end well it's not gonna end well but when that's it's drilled, just the safe bet. But it's but when it's bet. drilled into your yes, mind no, and your brain and your psyche for twenty five to thirty yeah, years, totally. I mean that's a lot to undo. Mm-hmm. Um, so that so that is a tiny piece of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I do feel like it's my choice. Mm-hmm. And um, and I love what Richard Rohr says. It 
I heard a podcast interview with him on a liturgist, um, and they asked him, because they were doing a Christian series as well, Mm -hmm. and he said, well, I love that the typical assumption of Christians, even when we're doing it wrong, is you're supposed to be loving, and you're supposed to be caring, you know? Like, you're mm-hmm. supposed to accept everybody. And I think that's what Jesus did. Yeah. Like, yeah. he threw parties and made wine and <laughs> healed people and, like, pushed against the status quo and talked to women when that wasn't okay and talked to people who were unclean when they, that wasn't okay. Like, he just pushed all the limits. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that. And so... And I love that it's about a relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it that question, and, and this is also me being naive about a lot of other religions, but if I'm to look at, oh, if I am, have this choice between a relationship with Jesus or believing this set of religious beliefs or believing this set of religious mm-hmm. beliefs or this one, like, I'm going to choose the relationship over any set of mm-hmm. beliefs because a relationship matters more to me mm-hmm. than our set of beliefs. Um, but I can also find relationship with other people who are loving and who are caring totally. in other religions. Totally. Um, which, you know, in small town Arkansas, you're not really exposed to other religions. <laughs> right. And so moving from there to Dallas was moving to the big city and, and I felt like my world got so much bigger that I could go back and visit Arkansas because mm-hmm. um, they have beautiful trees and water and nature, um, but small towns and small town mindsets. Mm-hmm. And so when you get out of that, like you can't physically fit back in that small town mm-hmm. mindset. I can't, um, or at least not, not now, you know, um, doesn't mean it won't ever happen, whatever, but, um, my, my world is just so much bigger now. And so um, now that I've been exposed to people from all different walks of life, rather than saying, oh, they're Buddhist, and oh, they're from Africa, and oh, they're from Asia, it's like, oh, I, I feel like I see a piece of Jesus in you, mm-hmm. and in you, and like, in you. And so, um, so for me... I think the draw to Jesus is um, how he disrupted the system um, mm-hmm. of violence and oppression mm-hmm. to love and to care and and to take care of others um, and this idea of unconditional love mm-hmm. keeps coming up over and over and over again and and I think that's where I had a hard time with the church because they talked about unconditional love but I didn't see it and Mm -hmm. you can talk about something all day but if I don't see it it's really hard to believe Mm -hmm. um and so it's like if I really look at Jesus's life I'm like oh yeah no you really Mm -hmm. did love unconditionally and I want that for me Mm -hmm. and I want to be able to bring that to other people Mm -hmm. so yeah it's good stuff (laughs) all right one book that helped you through this process. I know there's more than one book, but I'm asking you if someone is in the space of that moment of like, wait, I, I thought this was wrong and now it's happening and it doesn't feel wrong. Mm -hmm. And like the cracks are starting to form. 
What's the book you would hand them? Um, the Divine Dance by Richard Rohr. And it talks about the Trinity and this flow of love in God between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and how um, God at the core is relationship. And, mm-hmm. and he talks a little bit about how Christianity in America today, not everywhere, but a lot of places, generally speaking, generally speaking, <laughs> um, looks a lot like Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. We have Zeus, and we have Jesus, but like this, the Holy Spirit is not there anywhere. And so, um, and we look at God as this person who keeps people in line, who throws lightning bolts if you step out of line and mm-hmm. um, is kind of angry and kind of temperamental and you don't really know what's going to happen next. Um, and so uh, he talks about um, the cosmic Christ, which is just kind of this idea of Jesus being everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really helpful. But the other thing that was really helpful for me is... Um, he has a ton of footnotes and references at the back of his book in the appendix, and most of it is scripture. And so it wasn't just like, oh, this is a cool idea, and this is what I think. He's like, this is where I got it, and it was from the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so I love that. So I decided if I'm going to do a Bible study, I'm just going to take that book, and I'm going to go <laughs> through and look at all the scriptures yeah. and see, like, remember why I loved this so much. And so Mm -hmm. he just highlights a lot of scriptures that got glossed over when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, And these were all these scriptures that like made me come alive and made me excited and made me think like, Oh, Oh, like everyone's invited to the party Mm -hmm. and it is a party. Um, (laughs) And there will be wine. There will be wine (laughs) all the time. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, that really gave me a perspective of God. I was like, oh, yes, this. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I haven't read that one yet. We have it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have such a big pile of books. <laughs> Me too. That one will be added to my pile now. Yes. Okay, so name your favorite podcast that you listen to. Mm-hmm. It can be, it can, they can be for spiritual reasons or for other, just like for yeah. fun. Yeah. It's the Robcast. Yeah. Rob Bell. Hands oh, 100%. down. Oh, you Hands don't have down. to limit it to one though. You can tell me more than one if you want to, or okay. we can just stick with the Robcast. I mean, that's, I mean, that's is, by far my favorite. He is taking us to church once a week, which is nice. Yeah, once a week for sure. Um, definitely my favorite. Listen to Up First. It's a good like uh, snippet yeah. of news um, every weekday morning. Um, and I love On Being by Krista Tippett because she is doing this awesome work of interviewing people from all walks of life Mm -hmm. and saying, what is your spiritual background? How can we have kind conversations to make the world more loving? Mm -hmm. Like, why isn't that everyone's job Mm -hmm. in the world? Um, But yes, the Robcast is definitely my favorite. And that is where I really started hearing about um, stories in the Bible from a Jewish perspective, from a cultural perspective 2,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so... Rather than just reading my um, English-American filter interpretation of things, Mm -hmm. I was able to get beneath the surface and see these stories really come alive and see how they meant so much more than I was ever taught. Mm -hmm. And they were also kinder stories and more loving stories Mm -hmm. and made you want to be a better human from this perspective of like, oh, there's more hope and there's more there rather than... Mm -hmm. 
you have to do this right. And if you do get it wrong, like, it's not going to end well for you. Yeah. So it's good to have this breath of fresh air. Yes. I think it makes me so sad to think of how many Christians are scared of Rob Bell. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because he's saying things that mm-hmm. are so ancient mm-hmm. and are so sacred that mm-hmm. they're not, I mean, it's, it's okay. Yeah. Well, and also I think the people who are really upset are typically not really hearing what he has to say. 100%. They have read reviews about books that he's mm-hmm. written, but maybe not actually read the book mm-hmm. or read a book that he's written and then thought he was just making all this stuff up when mm-hmm. really he has all of this reference from Abraham Joshua Heschel and like rabbis and teachers. And he's like, I didn't make this up. Like <sighs> I found this from ancient <laughs> material. Yes. And so yeah. I, I just keep thinking about Brene Brown saying like, it's hard to hate people up close. And so mm-hmm. if you really get up close with it, you're like, oh, maybe this is really amazing. But if you have a problem with it, at least you know what you have a problem with yeah. rather than your assumption of what you have a problem totally. with. Totally. All right, last question. If money wasn't an issue, what's one thing that you would do just for fun? Just for fun. Um, I would probably buy a piece of land in Costa Rica and build a retreat center <laughs> mostly because I just went there and discovered Costa Rica is like where part of my heart lives um but yeah I whether it's in Costa Rica or somewhere in the states I would have I would build a retreat center that was basically outside that we would sleep indoors and um be in nature do yoga meditation um, dream about what the future can hold, figure out how to, um, you know, put legs to our vision and make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's been on my heart a lot over this last week. And so, yes, that's what I would do. I love that. I would go to that retreat center. Yeah, you would. You'd probably <laughs> teach a workshop at it too about the Enneagram. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for being my first podcast. Yeah, girl. Interviewee. It was super easy. And super long. Like talking to you. <laughs> That's all right. You know, people are either going to be here for it or they're not. Yep. That's Thanks. what I say. Yeah. All right. Glad Love you. You have been listening to the Heretics Club. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you will join us next month. Remember, for this year, I am only doing one episode per month. So we will pop up in your feed again around mid-February. And my next episode will be with my awesome friend, Jean-Yelle Kastner. Jean-Yelle, that name may sound familiar to you because Jean-Yelle is one of the people who has been so pivotal in helping me get this podcast out there to the world. She's been so helpful and she also has an amazing story and she is a professional storyteller. So she's really good at sharing her process and I can't wait for you guys to hear that conversation. Make sure that you subscribe so that you get notifications as soon as we have an episode out. And I have heard that it's helpful if you rate us on iTunes. So if you liked what you listened to today, I would love your support. Hope to see you back next time. Thanks again to Loud Harp for providing music for this episode. And you guys have a great day.